So in the month of October, as Pastor Rao has shared, we have been journeying through the message series of restoration, life, in the spirit amidst racism. Last week, Pastor Scott invited us to communal prayer. So I went Korean style all by myself and started praying out loud. And in Korean, we call it 통성기도. 통성기도. It's a hard word, actually, to say. But it, it means that we gather and communally we pray out, out loud in one voice. So when you go to a Korean church, even at a Presbyterian church, they will do this type of prayer called 통성기도. Most of the times, there's this like Korean lady that's praying super loud that I would have to pray louder than her to hear the voice, like to hear my voice to hear what I'm praying. Well, that was the type of prayer that I was doing all by myself here. And poor Pastor Scott was praying in the front as well, and he had to bear with that. But in that prayer, God gave me a word. And the word was testimony. That I will be a testimony. You will be a testimony. We as a church will be a testimony. A testimony of stories of restoration and racial justice and reconciliation through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that is a vision from God for us. In our study of the book of Acts in the past few weeks, we witnessed as, uh, as readers that cultural and racial differences are also present in the early church. Last Sunday, um, Pastor Scott shared about Cornelius in Acts 10. There was no way for Peter, a Jew, would be, visit, would be visiting Cornelius' house. He was a Gentile. It's Jewish custom not to associate with non-Jews. And for Cornelius, a centurion, to be associated with a Jewish fisherman, that was also very odd. But this encounter between Peter and Cornelius was the tipping point of the Christian movement in Antioch. It was a pivotal moment in Christian history. Many Gentiles came to faith in Jesus. God had opened doors for the Gentiles. Our Jewish leaders, um, the Jewish leaders had no problems with Gentiles becoming Christians because many Old Testament passages actually predict their inclusion. However, the Jewish leaders believed that the Gentile Christians would be absorbed into Israel by circumcision. But that wasn't happening. Gentile Christians were being welcomed into the church by baptism without being circumcised. And that was the problem that the Jews had against the Gentiles. John Stott, a theologian, he mentions that leaders in Jerusalem had to ask some big questions. First, he says this, it was one thing for Jerusalem leaders to give their approval to the conversation of gen conversion of Gentiles. But could they approve of conversion without circumcision, of faith in Jesus without the works of the law, and of the commitment to the Messiah without inclusion in, inclusion in Judaism? Second question. Was their vision big enough to see the gospel of Christ not as a reform movement within Judaism, but as good news for the whole world, 
and the church of Christ, not as a Jewish sect, but as the international family of God. In the Jewish culture, these would have been some daring questions to ask. And this is why Paul goes to the council of Jerusalem to resolve the conflict. Um, let's take our Bibles and turn our Bibles to Acts chapter 5, fifth, sorry, Acts chapter 15, verse 5 to 19. Or you can follow along with us on the screen. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart show that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor, neither we nor our ancestors could have been able to bear? No! We believe it is through the grace of the Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. During the Council of Jerusalem, restoration came through first, truth-telling, second, sharing of stories and active listening, third, spiritual discernment. So first, truth-telling. In Acts 15, Peter lays down the truth. Peter says in verse 11, We believe that we, Jews, and they, Gentiles, are saved in the same way by the grace of the Lord Jesus. The truth is that we are all saved not by circumcision, but by grace. You and I, whether your skin tone is brown, black, white, or yellow, were created in the image of God, Imago Dei. In Genesis 1 says that God created humanity in God's image. In God's kingdom, there is no discrimination. There is no superiority in ethnicity and skin tones. However, that's not the case in the world today. As a person of color, having a lighter skin tone 
has become desirable. Pew Research found that Hispanics with darker skin are more likely to experience discrimination than those with lighter skin. In Africa, skin bleaching is common amongst women. Research said that women with lighter skin are more likely to land a higher-paying job. In Asia, women desire to have fair skin. I remember visiting Korea for the first time in seventh grade after immigrating to Canada. It was right after summer camp, and I had a really nice tan. But when I met my relatives in Korea, one of, one of the first things they said to me was, oh, why are you so dark? What happened? And I remember feeling ashamed that I had a nice tan. Somehow, in our world, lighter skin tone has become more desirable and even, more, even a form of envy. In discrimination due to a person's skin color, there needs to be truth-telling. The truth, again and again, is that God did not create people with whiter skin to be superior to those with darker skin tones. The truth-telling here is imago Dei. We are created in the image of God. Whether you are white, black, brown, or yellow, there is no hierarchy in the color of your skin. Amen. Yes. Well, we know that, right? But history has proven that it hasn't been the case. And today, the enemy uses our skin tone and race to bring division. So in Acts 15, Peter is actively participating in truth-telling. But it was not until he himself experienced truth-telling that he was able to stand up for the Gentiles in the council. Between the timeline Peter encountered um, with Cornelius and the council at Jerusalem, so between there, Peter was at Antioch. And in Antioch, he was swayed away from the truth. Peter's attitude towards Gentiles changed when this group called Circumcision Group implemented that people's faith in Jesus was not enough. It was not sufficient for salvation unless they were circumcised. So Peter out of fear, started to withdraw from the Gentiles. And soon, other Jewish leaders also followed Peter's act. Here is Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, a highly respected leader, who saw the works of the Holy Spirit in Cornelius and other Gentiles, but out of fear, put a racial barrier on Gentiles. A racial barrier. And he stopped himself from being, from being associated with the Gentiles. Paul was appalled when he heard of this. So in Galatians 2.11, Paul says, Paul says this. When Cephas, which is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Paul, here is truth-telling to Peter. Galatians 2 reminds us that the enemy is actively deceiving us. 
And that is why we need to be a praying church. We can't just be a church all about justice, but we also have to be praying. Justice does not come without prayer. We need to pray and continue to listen to God and discern what is from God and what is not from God. In the kingdom of God, there is no room for racism. Amen? Did you know that Seattle, our city, has terrible roots in racism? People of color in the early 1800s and on were excluded from most jobs, neighborhoods, schools, restaurants, and even hospitals. The system of severe racial discrimination in Seattle targeted not just African Americans, but also Native Americans, Asians, Pacific Islanders, and Mexicans. And Seattle has a terrible history of redlining. Redlining was a discriminatory practice that restricted where people could buy or rent residents, like their homes, based on their race and ethnicity. Banks and mortgage companies refused to give loans for properties to people of color for specific neighborhoods that were reserved only for the white Americans. So you can see in the map here, it is color-coded. Do you see the little bit of green pockets of green? That is labeled best. That means there's only white people living there. Do you see blue? That's labeled still desirable. Yellow is definitely declining. Red, it says hazardous because that is where the dense population of people of color lived. Even though housing discrimination was banned in 1968, it was not till 1980s that desegregation was noticeable. This is the history of our city here in Seattle. And due to redlining, there's a wealth gap between white Americans and people of color. If you know Seattle real estate, um, we have people who are in real, real estate here, right? You know that the areas colored in green and blue have appreciated in value much higher than the areas that are in red. Continuing on, secondly, in Acts 15, there is sharing of stories and active listening. Paul and Barnabas share stories with the council. And James, the leader of the church, also Jesus' brother, he actively listened. The council actively listened. Friends, look around this room. Look around. Take a moment and look around. You can look back. Yep. Most of you in this room are majority white Americans. Right? Look around this room again. Do you see any minorities in this room? Well, there's one standing right in the front, so, okay. <laughs> well, to the majority in this room, has it ever dawned on you that there are people that look different from you in this room? 
and to the minority in this room? Are you quietly blending in in this room? Are you just blending? Church, we need to take an action and step forward to deeply listen to each other's stories and experiences. There is an invisible wall of politeness right here at Bethany, right? And or, or we simply are not caring. It's not an importance of us or to us. But there cannot be restoration without sharing of stories. And it is through sharing of stories that we will grow a level of cultural intelligence. There's many people in this room that represents a lot of different cultures. Soon Chan Ra writes this in his, many, his book, Many Colors. He says this, Cultural intelligence is about changing our view of culture in a way that honors people, honor different cultural expressions, and acknowledging that God is at work in every culture, not just our own. Cultural intelligence is about developing a biblical view rather than a socially derived view of culture. It is about learning our tainted history so that we can understand where the other person is coming from. It is about creating systemic change that does not move everyone to one spot of the scale, but allow the whole range of the scale to be expressed. It is about the communication of identity through story and entering into the story of others. It is about changing our identity and frame of reference for the sake of the other. It is about changing the cultural environment of our churches from hostility to hospitality and moving beyond simple hospitality to a mutual submission. Cultural intelligence is about systemic change. The majority in this room might feel that you don't want to offend a person of color. So you're careful not to ask personal questions or unconsciously you have become colorblind that you don't see the people of color in this room. And for the minority in this room, some of you are so good at assimilating. We have become chameleons or out of embarrassment or shame, we are not sharing about our culture, upbringings, family, and even the racism that we have experienced in the past. I will start with myself today. I confess that I have unconsciously lived into some of the stereotypes of Asian model minority. You might, you might ask, what is model minority? Well, here it is. Model, it's coming up. Model minority is a stereotype of cultural expectation placed on Asian Americans as a group. That each individual will be smart, naturally good at math, science, and technology. I'm not that, okay? <laughs> and wealthy, I'm definitely not that too. But hardworking, self-reliant, living the American dream, docile and submissive, obedient and uncomplaining, and or spiritually enlightened and never in need of assistance. And individuals who identify as Asian Americans may feel pressure to meet these cultural expectations. But I have learned that to be part of a racial justice and reconciliation, I need to do my part being a voice for the minority, sharing my culture, my story, 
my experiences to bring awareness of cultural intelligence to the majority of Americans. I am here to confess that I was ignorant. I was ignorant. It had not dawned on me that I was living in a city, a country rooted in systemic racism, in the business of life, raising children, right? And to make the ends meet. And out of ignorance, I didn't know racism involved me and you, all of us, all of us in this room. Around a year and a half ago, I had a big awakening. I learned that as God's people, we all play a big part in racial justice and reconciliation. And you know what? I had a white pastor call me out during a job interview. And that white pastor, do you know who he is? Scott Sons. <laughs> if you're new to Bethany, Scott is our senior pastor, um, lead pastor at North. And this is so embarrassing, but this is the email that Scott sent me after my interview. It's embarrassing that I'm sharing this, but so grateful that Scott did send it to me. And this is what he wrote. I didn't ask for permission, Scott. I hope it's okay. <laughs> well, I'm hired. What is he going to do, right? <laughs> he said this to me. He wrote, you mentioned that reconciliation is mostly between white and black people. Though racism certainly has had a huge impact on white-black relations, it is my firm belief that anti-racist efforts under the banner of Jesus Christ extends to all races and ethnic groups. We are, as reconcilers, in the name of Jesus, meant to stomp out any racist activity to others who are being discriminated on their ethnicity, gender, racial background or any other divide people used to exclude and diminish the imago day in those people. During my interview with Bethany, Scott did some truth-telling and sharing of stories, and I had some deep listening to do and I had to repent. I repented of my ignorance. God opened my eyes at that moment. This was the catalyst moment and the beginning of my participation in the work of racial justice and reconciliation. I realized that I could not live as a stereotyped modern minority anymore. I learned that racial justice and reconciliation involves all of us. God had to open my eyes, my ears, for me to see and to reflect. Racial justice and reconciliation is hard work. And it is hard work that as people of God, we all need to do. We cannot live in ignorance because we feel like racism doesn't affect us or involve us. No, as long as you are human, created in the image of God, you belong to the big story of restoration. The kingdom of God is already, but not yet on earth. The kingdom of God is here, 
right now on earth. Not fully yet. In Revelation 21, John saw a vision. And John says, Then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. As we get ready for the new heaven and new earth, we need to do our part to bring restoration and racial justice and reconciliation. Two years ago, in the early stages of the pandemic, coronavirus was called the China virus by our former president. Due to that, many of my Asian brothers and sisters experienced racism. Random people would push and punch Asians in the streets of San Francisco, New York, and even in Seattle. Asian hate crimes are one of the rise in America, is on the rise in America. And my family experienced this in Shelton, Washington. And when our family went down to Shelton, we were down there to pick up a new puppy. We were all excited, and we stopped by McDonald's to use the restroom. But David and I experienced something that we will never forget. It was a fear for our family. It's a fear that we have never experienced. When a group of white Americans stared at us, we thought they were going to attack us. So David quickly brought the car to the front of the doors of McDonald's, and our family jumped in in fear. As parents, David and I had to have conversations about Asian hate crimes with our children. We had to teach our teenagers um, to be aware of their surroundings. And as a parent, I felt nervous and worried, and when I knew that they were in Woodenville, probably one of the safest cities, just crossing the streets from Target to Old Navy. During my son's Zoom class, an Indian girl asked my son, slanting her eyes like that. Ben, why does your eyes look like that? This was the first time my son Ben experienced racism. If we keep silent and don't share our stories, no one will know. To build bridges of trust, we have to share our stories and experiences. Ooh. <laughs> Can I get some tissue? <sighs> and some of us, we need to listen. Wow. Sorry. <sighs> I can't breathe. 
And some of us, we need to repent. There is no room for racism in the kingdom of God. And third, we need spiritual discernment. In Acts 15, James listens to God, Peter, Paul, and Barnabas, and through discernment, James stands in solidarity with the Gentiles and brings the council to a conclusion. Thank you. In verse 19, um, he says, James says this, Therefore, I conclude that we shouldn't create problems for Gentiles who turn to God. And as we listen to truth-telling stories, we need to actively seek God in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us so that we can discern what is from God and what is not. Let's ask God how we can be a testimony of stories of restoration. Look around this room one more time. Again, look around. We don't look around, do we? Look around. Do we reflect the demographics of our surrounding cities? Seattle, Shoreline, Edmonds, Mocatillo, Linwood, Bothell, maybe even? Do we reflect the diversity of our children's schools? I see your Facebook. Dude, your schools are very diverse. Do we reflect the diversity of ethnicity we see in Costco and Fred Myers? I've been to Shoreline Costco, and I was shocked. I remember thinking and getting excited of the ethnic diversity that I saw at Costco, hoping that Bethany would one day reflect the diversity that I saw at Costco. The work of social justice and reconciliation is hard work. But we can begin by being a trickle. I want to share a quote by Eugene Cho. He is the president of Bread, of the, Bread, of, Bread for the World, also a former pastor in Seattle. He tweeted this, and he gave me permission to share this with you today. He wrote this. He said, We long for justice to run like a mighty river, but more often than that, it begins with a trickle. Be that trickle. Do your part. Start where you're at. Listen to the stories around you. Grow in empathy. Be a good neighbor. Seek justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly. Well, you might ask, how can we be that trickle? Well, let's begin by making our church a safe place for the people of color. Make sure that they are seen. Say hello to them. Get to know them. Build relationships. And for the people of color in this room, we need to do our part in sharing our stories. We can't just assimilate and quietly live our lives if we want racial justice and reconciliation in our city and in the world, we need to actively work towards it. Many of you have kids. 
How about your sons and daughters' soccer and baseball games? Do you see that immigrant family sitting quietly by themselves on the bleachers? All alone, no one talks to them. Be that trickle and say hello to them. Introduce yourself. Don't let language be a barrier. Because you know what? I'm sure the immigrants are more intimidated, intimidated to speak English to you than you are to them. Take an extra initiative and invite them. Invite their family to your home for barbecue. Include them in your conversations with others. And invite them to one of the events at church. That's why we have events for you to invite your friends and neighbors. Listen to their stories. Or at your workplaces or school, is there a person of color who eats lunch all by themselves while you and your coworkers and your friends eat lunch together? And I'm sure there is a person of color at your workplace that eats lunch in the car. I've done that before. You can take the initiative and invite them to your table. Do you know of an immigrant family that just moved to America? They probably don't have extended family here. Invite them to your home for Thanksgiving and Christmas. People did that for my family, and I remember. And in your bulletin, you will find many ways to get involved. So many ways. Taylor and the team has done an amazing job. Get involved and be a trickle. Going back to the prayer time last week. During prayer, I pray for the breaking of walls, invisible walls, and the barriers that are in the way of racial justice and reconciliation. And yesterday, I got a text from one of you in this room. I don't know where you are. I didn't ask if I can share this. I did not ask a lot of people if I can share a lot of things today. And I hope that it's okay that I'm sharing. She texted and she said, Lydia, I heard a crack. A crack sound. She heard a crack sound in her prayer. And she said this, that God led her to pray a declarative statement about walls cracking down. Chains breaking, redemption and restoration pouring forth. Walls are cracking. It's coming down. Church, it's coming down. God has already started doing the work in this place. The wall, the barrier that is in the way of racial justice and reconciliation is cracking down. I am excited, are you? Because our trickles will become a mighty river that will bring stories, stories of restoration. Church, it begins with you. It begins with you. Be that trickle. Do your part. Start where you're at. Listen to the stories around you. Grow in empathy. Be a good neighbor. Seek justice. Love kindness. Walk humbly.
Let us pray. We're going to have prayer ministers out in the front. And if you need to receive, or if you would like to receive prayer, it's an honor to receive prayer from our prayer ministers. I want to invite you to come forward. Pastor Scott invited us to the front last week. And I want to invite you to the front again today. If you would like to join me in the work of racial justice and reconciliation, if you're at a place where you need to receive prayer, I want to invite you to come to the front and pray with me. You can come and kneel on the side of the alleys as the Holy Spirit leads. Join me, church, in prayer. God, we thank you for opening our eyes, for speaking to us and showing us what is from you and what is from the enemy, that there is no room for racism in the kingdom of God. Thank you for the truth-telling that we, everyone in this room, Everyone watching online are created in the image of God. God, there is so much hurt in this world. There is so much hurt in our city, in our history. So we cry out to you. We cry out to you. We cry out to you, Abba, Father. We cry out to you in Korean, Hananim. Hananim, Abochi. Lord, may we be that trickle. May we begin with repentance. We repent, God, of our ignorance. We repent for not caring. We repent for not obeying. We repent for refusing to listen. Open our eyes. Open our ears so that we can hear you, Lord. Father, we have a dear family in this room. Who has family in Iran? May we gather around our international family as we pray for them. I pray, Lord, that you protect our friends' family in Iran for their safety. And as you are doing, we believe that you are doing great things in Iran. We pray, Lord, for the people in Ukraine. Who have lost lives and their homes, who are desperately crying out to you. Lord, lead us 
to care for our neighbors and to pray and to mourn with them, to lament with them. And we pray, Lord, a wave of unity, of forgiveness in our world. We pray that the Jews will forgive what the Germans have done. That people in Vietnam will forgive what China has done. That Korea will forgive what people in Japan have done. That Japan will forgive America for the Hiroshima bomb that fell in their land, in their soils that has affected the generations. That the people of color in their city, in their country, will forgive of the harm that has been done to them and to their family. I pray, God, that through forgiveness, through your grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that you will unite us as one family. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.